Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Thanks for shouting. So good to have Derek here with us. You might not know, Derek's been with our uh, Crosspoint family. Like in our early days when we launched Crosspoint, he was uh, a regular part. When he wasn't gigging somewhere else, uh, he was leading worship with us. And so it's always just such a blessing to have Derek. So I wonder if we could just give him thanks. Just give him a hand. So thanks, Derek. for Absolutely love this guy. What's that? I need to step into the light. Oh. Is it dead? They're working on it. Awesome. Hey, uh, before we get into the message today and before we uh, talk about what you just saw on TV, uh, on the screen, um, I want to just bring our church family up to speed on uh, just some wonderful, amazing news um, for, for us. And so if you're here and you're here for the first time, we're just going to do a little bit of family business and then I'm going to uh, talk about today's message. So uh, for those of you who... Uh, um, have, are not on the city, this is, this is going to be new news to you. If you're on the city and you're reading it regularly, this might not be. But uh, we, I just want to give you an update on our pledge drive uh, for Crosspoint. As, as, as many of you know, our desire is to plant the gospel in northeast Edmonton. That's why we planted Crosspoint so many years ago. We had a great opportunity to potentially move the ministry center into northeast Edmonton. We asked you to consider pledging um, to be part of this move, uh, you know, as, as, as a member of the Crosspoint family. And a number of you did respond. And uh, our goal was to uh, come up with $140,000 so that we could develop a space in Northeast Edmonton. It's an amazing opportunity. And uh, so I just want to let you know that as of this last Sunday, we received 23 pledges so far. And we've received a pledge amount of a total of $123,000. So that's awesome. That was a really quiet clap. Uh, <laughs> Let there be light, and there was light. Uh, yeah, this is an amazing news for us, Crosspoint, because we are so close uh, to getting towards that goal. And so because of that, we've decided that it's probably a good time now for us to have a congregational meeting so that we can have a conversation about this. And so next Sunday, January 28th, after the gathering, we are going to have a uh, congregational meeting. Uh, I'm hoping it'll be about 20 minutes to half an hour at the most. There will be childcare available for us. Please come. Uh, those who maybe aren't on the city, you know, invite them to come and be part of it as well. Because we just make a, as we've said from the beginning, we want to make this decision in community as a church family uh, because this is such a significant move for us and change for us. So we're going to do that. Also, I just want to say, if, um, if you have not yet submitted your pledge, now would be a great time to do that uh, because this would be a great time for us to, to say, okay, we've got... This is a final total. We've had more people in the, in the, last, uh, in the last hour come in and, and submit pledges for that. So please lean in with us on this. And for those of you who already have, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, that's uh, just taking a lot of heavy weight off and wondering whether or not we're going to be uh, moving close towards this goal. So we'll make that decision together next Sunday after the gathering uh, for a congregational meeting. All right. Segue into the message. Hey, um, if you're just joining us this week, we've been doing a series called 
redemptive echo, and each week uh, we've been exploring a popular contemporary song with a purpose in mind. There is a purpose to this, and the purpose is to discover how can we have meaningful spiritual conversations with those who have not yet heard the good news, or those who have not yet had a chance to respond to the good news. So that's really what we're trying to coach and trying to teach as we go through a song each week. So we're going to try and discover how um, and identify the deep longings that we find behind each song. And what we're going to discover uh, as we uh, look at these longings is we'll discover that that's, these longings that are kind of portrayed in the song or that come across in the song have, have a little bit uh, of distortion to them. They've, they've veered a couple of degrees away from what they are originally intended for. And, and so we're hoping that by doing this, by, by listening to these songs, which we would call cultural artifacts, we'll learn a little bit about how we can have meaningful spiritual conversations with the people we meet every single day. And we're hoping that we'll learn to listen beneath the lyrics that we'll learn to listen beneath the stories in people's lives so that we have an opportunity to talk about the good news about who God is. And, you know, there's so much more I could say about this. Uh, if you have not uh, heard the first week in the podcast, I encourage you to go and do that. It unpacks it all. And uh, I just want to get into it today. Uh, today, we're going we're gonna to listen to a very popular song by a British artist. His name is Rag and Bone Man. I don't think that when he was born, that was his name, his original name. Actually, you can Google it. You can discover where his name uh, actually came from. But uh, for simplification, I'm going to call him Rory because that's his actual re real name. And uh, this song was released a few years ago, and it just, it just kind of took off. And in, in many ways, it just took his, his career and, and, and skyrocketed it. And the song is called Human, and we're going to listen to about a minute of it this morning, and as you listen to it, you're going to pick up on something. You're going to pick up on the fact that Rory seems to be frustrated with the human condition. You're going to see that he's, he's fed up with people's selfishness, he's, he's frustrated with their whining, he's, and he's lamenting his inability to meet people's needs and to put up with people's critiques. So the song is Human, Rag and Bone Man, Rory. Let's just take a minute and let's just listen to it. Take a look in the mirror. What do you see? Do you see it clearer? Or are you deceived? And what you believe? Because I'm only human after all. And you're only human after all. Don't put the blame on me. Don't put your blame on me. Uh, some of you may have heard that song at some point, working out at the gym, getting your hair styled, shopping at winners, I'm not sure. Uh, here's the basic gist of the song, okay? I'm only human, you're only human, we are all messed up, and I can't help you with your problems, so stop asking. I'm only human. So, you know, if you, if you listen carefully to that song, you can actually identify a deeper longing that's beneath the surface of the song. The longing is just simply this. It's a longing for capability. 
a longing for capability. You see, what, this is what Lori, Rory's lamenting in the song. He is lamenting the fact that he is absolutely incapable. He's incapable of being the best version of himself. He's incapable of helping other people with their problems. And so beneath the surface, in reverse, what he's saying is, there's this longing I have for capability. And many of us, I think, we can identify with this longing. You know, that, that phrase, I'm only human, it's, it's an interesting phrase. And, and, I, and I tried to think, okay, what does the phrase really mean? Um, and I think the best way to understand the term, I'm only human, is just to do a simple substitution. It's to substitute the word human with the word fallen. Substitute the word human with the word fallen. See, the emphasis of that statement is on the broken side of humanity. So, I'm only human might be better stated, I'm only fallen, or I'm only broken, or I'm only frail. And of course, when you add the word only in there, it kind of complicates matters, and we'll get to that a little bit later on uh, in my talk. But uh, that's really what it's saying is, I'm only fallen, I'm only fallen. And it turns out, it's, it's actually a pretty common expression. If you were to go to Instagram, you go to Twitter, and, and you were to do a search of hashtag, I'm only human, you'll find some very, very interesting responses uh, as you go through it. Um, you, you want to be discerning and cautious as you do that. But, uh, you know, a lot of times it, the statement's just thrown in to stop the haters, right? So, look at my new, ha- look at my new hairdo. Ah, I'm only human, right? So, in other words, don't make bad mis- comments about my hairdo. Or it's used to kind of rationalize really, really, really bad behavior, right? I had my temple pierced with a six-inch nail. I'm only human, okay? So, um, so it's, it's a basic way of simply saying, don't judge me, back off, Jack. I'm only human. Now, what do we make of this idea? What do we make of this idea? Because we don't just hear about, we actually hear people say commonly, I'm only human, I'm only human, I'm only human after all. So what do we make of it? And that's really what today's message is about. I want to talk about two sides of this statement. I want to talk about the right side of this statement, and I want to talk about the wrong side of this statement this morning. So let's jump right in. Let's jump into the right side of being human. Let's, Let's talk about two ways that I think Rory actually gets it right in this song. Um, two ways. Here's the first thing, is, is that we are finite. As human beings, we are finite. Uh, he said it right. He said, some people got real problems. They're out of luck if they think I can solve them because I cannot solve people's problems. I'm limited. I'm finite. I'm only human. And as human beings, I think most of us will agree with that. We're, we're limited in our knowledge and capability. We are not all-knowing. We are not all-powerful. We are finite, not infinite. Only God himself is infinite. And here's the bottom line. There is a God, and you are not him, and neither am I. So, so God will never need to dial 911 because God is never going to need anyone's help. God, God will never need to dial 411 because he doesn't need anybody's advice, right? Because God is God, and people are people. God is infinite, and we are finite. And in this, Rory's got it right. But here's the second thing. We're finite, but we're also flawed, You know, as you trace through the song, you will notice that Rory identifies a whole bunch of flawed traits. He talks about being foolish, talks about being blind, talks about people being deceptive and selfish. He talks about people having problems. He's saying we all make mistakes, right? This is just a theme that runs its way through the entire song. And I think most of us, if we take a good, honest look in the mirror, would agree with him. You know, we, we, um, we might have felt the same frustration. You know, why is it that we keep making the same mistakes? Why is it that we sometimes we just seem to lack self-control? Why is it sometimes that we do the things that we don't want to do? You know, Paul wrestles with this and talks about this in, in, in Romans chapter 7. It's, it's a very human thing. And the Bible has an answer for that, and the Bible has a word for it. The word the Bible uses is depravity. 
What the Bible teaches is that every single person on this planet is flawed because of something that's called original sin. The idea behind original sin is just this. It's that every one of us, every single person on this planet, we inherited a sin nature from our progenitors, Adam and Eve. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, everybody else, all of humanity, sinned with them. And so we were, we were birthed into this world, not in pure innocence, but rather we were birthed into this world with a fallen nature. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. He says, he says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So, so sin entered the world through Adam and Eve's failure. And so we sin because it's our nature to do so. We, we actually, turns out we come from a, a very long line of sinners. Uh, let, let me illustrate what I mean. Um, 1991, two hikers stumbled upon a corpse that was half frozen in a glacier in the Italian Alps. And when the, uh, the forensic experts took it apart and, and looked at it, took it out and looked at it, they discovered that this corpse was actually over 5,000 years old. It is, in fact, the oldest human corpse that's intact that we have on record. And so they gave him a name. They call him Otzi the Iceman. And what they discovered then is this corpse is actually dating back prior to the time of Abraham. That's how old this corpse is. Uh, and, and because of the, the fresh mountain air and because of the fact it was, it was inside of a glacier, this body was almost perfectly preserved. So they took it and they did uh, a whole bunch of numerous uh, forensic tests and uh, they discovered some things. One of the things they discovered was uh, Otzi was a shepherd, which is kind of cool. Uh, they, they discovered that his body was covered in tattoos. He had a total of 61 tattoos all over his body. They also opened up his stomach, which is kind of gross, but they opened up his stomach and they discovered that he had a meal eight hours before dying and he had a meal two hours before dying and it wasn't a Big Mac. So they also discovered that there was a, a copper-headed axe nearby, which they could kind of identify the age in which he, he had come from. But here's the most interesting thing they found about Otzi, the Iceman. Otzi was a murder victim. Somebody had shot Otzi in the back with the arrow. The arrow had pierced in through his shoulder, and they found the arrowhead inside of his shoulder, and the reality is that he probably bled to death. And so here's, here's what we have. We have the oldest human corpse we have on record, and it was not discovered in a peaceful grave. It was not discovered in a tomb. Rather, it was a shepherd from the Bronze Age who was shot in the back, and he died on the side of a mountain two hours after dinner. That's the oldest representation we have of humanity. Like I said, we come from a long line of sinners. We come from a flawed species. Now, it's not uncommon for people today to say, well, you know, come on, Rob, that was like, that was like 5,000 years ago, right? We've come a long ways since then. I mean, we're starting to make a better world through education and technology. We're evolving, right? We're not really like that anymore. Um, but I want you to consider this. Does the evidence actually demonstrate that to be true about humanity today? Let me give you an example. Consider, consider Nazi Germany. Did you know that in Nazi Germany in its day, it was one of the most highly educated and technologically advanced nations in human history? And yet in Hitler's reign from 1933 to 1945, it was one of the most horrific nations of the modern day. 
And of course, we all know the history. We, we, know, the, we know the stark example of the Nazi ghettos and camps that Hitler's regime set up throughout Europe. Uh, labor camps, concentration camps, Jewish ghettos, brothels, and more importantly, killing centers, or what we would call death camps. And originally, after the war, it was believed that there were maybe about 7,000 of these ghettos that were set up uh, across Europe. So they were assumed to be isolated incidents. You know, they're hidden away from most citizens. Most people didn't, in fact, know about these things. But recent research has demonstrated that there were actually six times the amount of these camps across Europe. 42,500 of these camps have been discovered across Europe. After the war, many German citizens pled ignorance to their knowledge of these camps. But what they're realizing is that the evidence actually demonstrates that these camps were everywhere. Almost everybody knew about them. And the reality is there was no way to avoid them. And more importantly, nobody was willing to do anything about them. Many people were directly involved in the camps. Others just kind of went along with them and acquiesced because of the pressure from the nation around them. You know, one of, our, one of the basic credos of our culture today is that if we just have enough time, we just have enough money, enough energy, enough education, we can make a brighter future together. But if that is true, how could such an advanced, educated, technological society allow such atrocities? The reality is, is there's no way to explain it away, and there's no way really to explain it, because the answer is staring us in the face. There's something seriously flawed with human beings. The famous British author G.K. Chesterton said this, he said, original sin is the only doctrine that's been empirically validated by 2,000 years of human history. I think it's true if we look at the evidence. There is something seriously flawed about human beings. But the question I'd like to pose to us this morning is just simply this. Is this all we are? Or is there something more to us as human beings? You know, are we only human? Are we only finite and flawed? Or is it possible that we are something more? So to answer this, I want us to look at a very familiar story. It's the story, in fact, of the very first two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. It's a very familiar story. Uh, they would have been actually the first humans who were birthed into this idea of, of original sin. So we find their story in Genesis chapter 4, and I'll read through it, and you can follow along on the screen. Here's the story. It says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Now the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Well, let me just stop here for a moment before we continue in the story. You'll notice from, from the story that Abel's offering was acceptable to the Lord and Cain's offering was not acceptable to the Lord. Now, the interesting thing is God does not make arbitrary decisions, right? If God made that decision about the offerings, there was a reason why he made that decision. So here's the question. Why was Abel's offering a better offering than Cain's offering? Now, throughout, throughout uh, the centuries, people have uh, different speculations about this, uh, but there are some clues because the story, uh, it's not obvious in the text, uh, it's not very explicit, but there are a few clues in the text that point us to two reasons why it was less acceptable, or it was acceptable and the other not acceptable. Two reasons. One had to do with the condition of the offering, and the other had to do with the condition of Cain's heart. 
Let me talk about the condition of the offering. Um, what do we notice about the condition of his offering? The key word in the text is this, firstborn. Abel offered God his firstborn. Now, what were the firstborn? The, four, the firstborn would have been the, the first fruits of Abel's flock. And what were the first fruits? The first fruits in that in, in, is a very Jewish concept, uh, but it's the idea that these were the first portion of the harvest or the flock. The first, few, uh, first fruits belonged to God. They were sacred. They were offered to God as a thanksgiving for his provision. So when you harvested your crop, the first part of the crop that came off, you gave it to God. That was your first fruit. When you harvested your flock, the first part of the flock that you uh, sacrificed was given to God. It was the first fruits. And the text says that Abel brought some of his first fruits. But did you notice in the text, Cain only brought some of his fruits. So essentially, uh, Abel was tithing, but Cain was tipping. Cain wasn't bringing the first fruits of his harvest. He was just bringing the leavings, and he was just bringing the leftovers. So there was, there was something about the condition of the offering that was at stake here. But there was also something wrong with the condition of Cain's heart. And, and you'll notice Cain's response. It kind of shows us what's going on inside. It says that he was ticked off at God, which is just an indicator of the condition of his heart. So he didn't come to the altar with thanksgiving. Instead, he came to the altar with entitlement. And when he didn't get what he thought he deserved, he was outraged. He was, he was just ripped right off. So something was going on with Cain's heart, which the Apostle John later explains in his letter. Here's what the Apostle John says. He says, don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So it's not just the condition of your offering that matters. It's the condition of your heart. So here's the thing I learned from this is that you might give God everything you have, but if you give it grudgingly, and you give it with this sense of entitlement, then your offering loses its value. And the condition of Cain's heart further revealed uh, is further revealed in the next section. So, so let's just keep reading. Verse 6 says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? I mean, why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? Like God doesn't know, right? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now stop there. So, so back to the question. Here's the question. Are we only human? Or is there something more to us as people? And I think Cain's story reveals that there is, there is something missing in this definition. In fact, the word only in the, te- in the message, in, in the uh, definition, is an oversimplification. So let me talk about the wrong side of being only human. And I, I'd like to ex- explore three challenges to this idea this morning. Okay? Here's the first challenge. The first challenge is this. Is, is actually we're not only human. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that human means we're finite and we're flawed. So the problem with that idea is the idea of the word only. We are only flawed and finite. Is that true? 
Or is there more to us as people, as human beings? See, people often say, I'm only human, oftentimes because we're trying to rationalize our own mistakes. We're saying that we're completely flawed. So, you know, because I'm completely flawed, I'm only human, don't expect anything more from me, right? It's like a, it's like a shield that we put up to protect us from people's scrutiny. That's why we use the word only. But if we are only human, why does God expect Cain to do the right thing? Did you notice in the text, God said to him, if you do what is right, Cain, if you do what is right, will it not be accepted? And then later on, God tells him, listen, Cain, you've got to rule over this sin. Sin is crouching at the door, but you've got to rule over it. So was Cain wrestling with sin? Absolutely. But he didn't have to give in to it. He wasn't only human. Now, you know, I try, I try to think about this, you know, as, as Cain's smashing his brother's head in with a rock, right? He's singing this song, I'm only human after all, right? And then God asks him the question later on, you know, so Cain, what have you done? And he's like, well, God, I'm, you know, I'm only human, right? Don't put your blame on me. I'm only human. To say we're only human, actually, it shows a misunderstanding of the doctrine of original sin. Humans are not composed only of evil. When the Bible describes original sin, what it technically says is that sin touches our entire nature. Sin messes with everything we do. It even spoils the good things we try to do. So our most benevolent acts are somehow tainted by sin and self-centeredness. So for example, I might give a thousand bucks to charity and then only two hours later go and brag to my friends about it, right? That's sin touching even my most benevolent act. It spoils everything. That's what the doctrine of original sin teaches. Now, clearly, from the Bible, sin is a powerful force. It crouches at the door. And the more we open the door to sin in our lives, the more it gains access and it gains control in our lives. And over time, the more you give away to its destructive power, it can lead to all sorts of horrendous actions, from fratricide to death camps. Sin, when it's crouching at the door and we let it in, can start to gain control in our lives. But that doesn't mean that it's, we're not accountable. And at the end of the day, it is up to us whether or not we choose to open that door. And what I find as, as, um, as Christians is sometimes we can get so fixated on our fallen nature that we forget that human beings are not only fallen creatures, but human beings are also noble creatures. Humans were created by God. We were, we were God's image bearers. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We were made to reflect God's image throughout the world. We were meant to give leadership and stewardship to his creation. That's actually what it means to be truly human, to be like God, to reflect his image in the world. And, and there are an, a lot of scriptures that talk about this. Let me just give you a couple examples this morning from the Psalms. Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 to 5, talks about the nobility of humanity. Here's what it says. It says, what is mankind? What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You made them a little lower than the angels and you crowned them with glory and honor. Psalm 139, verse 13 to 14, the psalmist writes this. He says, God, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. So we are not only human. We are not only finite and flawed, there is so much more to humanity than just being fallen creatures. We are also noble creations, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. 
made to be his image bearers, his leaders, and his stewards of his creation. But original sin has tainted everything that we do. Now, let me talk about the second challenge that I find with this idea of being only human. When we embrace this idea, it's simply this. We omit change. We omit change. Oftentimes, and listen, when I talk about this idea, you might not be here today, and you might not say, I never ever say that. I never ever say, I'm only human. But let me ask you to consider this. Do you sometimes think that way? Do you sometimes think, well, I am fallen, I am broken, it's inevitable that I will behave this way or live this way? Do you ever think that way? Because here's the thing is, when you begin to think that way, when you begin to believe that way, we omit change. When people believe that they are only human, they actually keep themselves from changing or from growing. You, you actually paint yourself into a corner with this, with this false belief. So let me talk about three results that typically emerge when you accept this idea. Here's the first result. Number one is we shift the blame. So rather than owning our dumb mistakes, we shift the blame towards someone or we shift the blame towards something. And in this case, we shift it towards a flaw in our character, which we seemingly have no control over. So what we're saying is, you know, everyone makes mistakes, therefore I'm not accountable. Or we might be saying, hey, listen, you can't judge me because you make mistakes just like everybody else. We all make mistakes. We're all flawed. But at the end of the day, it's actually flawed logic. It's not necessarily so. Because maybe it just means that everybody should be accountable for their mistakes, including me. And maybe we're not just only human. Maybe we're meant to be something more. Here's the other thing I find that happens. The other thing I find is that we shirk our responsibility to others. So when we live by an only human philosophy, it can lead to apathy. It it can lead to indifference. There's a strong theme in this song when when you listen to it. It says, I'm human. I can't solve your problems. In other words, don't ask me for help. Don't ask my opinion. I'm not going to give it to you. Don't expect anything from me. I'm only human. But again, we, we see here again, there's just flawed thinking in this way of thought. Because being limited does not equal being incompetent. You cannot do everything. You are finite. But you can do something for somebody. And here's the third result I've noticed, is, is that we stay a victim. We stay a victim. And this is probably perhaps the most devastating of all. If we, if we keep saying that I'm only human and we think that way, you can trap yourself in a false belief system. Because here's the thing, friends. You ultimately become what you believe about yourself. It's called a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you keep telling yourself that you're only human, you will begin behaving and living as though you were only human. And so what happens is you become a victim to your own broken logic. But not only that, is, is, is when you believe this, when you embrace this way of thinking, you can actually become a victim to others. Especially when you use this logic to justify and rationalize their behavior. This is sometimes why people stay in abusive relationships or why they don't confront bad behavior or, or maybe why they don't hold people accountable to their broken choices. Well, you know, I, I, so-and-so is only human. After all, we're only human after all, right? How can I put the blame on them? I'm, I'm human too. And then we find ourselves trapped, trapped, and remain a victim by our false logic. So let me ask you this question this morning. Are you only human after all? Do you need to continue living this way? Is it 
impossible for you to change. Because you're only human after all. You're only human. Because here's the final challenge with this idea is we overlook our potential. We overlook our potential. You see, God would say to you this morning that you do not have to keep living this way. And with his help, you have the potential to be so much more than only human. Because God gives you the power and the capability, the deepest longing of your heart. He gives you the power and the capability to be truly human. And to be truly human is to be transformed into the image of Christ. It's to become who God called you to be, who you were designed to be, an image bearer of Christ, full of goodness, love, holiness, strength, beauty, the best version of yourself, recreated into the image of Jesus, a fearfully and wonderfully made noble creation. You do not have to be only human. You can become truly human. Now, to get us there, to get the world there, God had to deal with a big problem. And the big problem was the problem of sin in all of humanity. And it's a big problem, right? It's a, it's a problem so large that no person can fix. No education, no technological advancement, nothing in this world seems to be able to fix this problem. And thousands of years of empirical evidence about human history has demonstrated this to be true. It's like the young guy who uh, just received his plumber's ticket, and he and his buddy decided they're going to go to Niagara Falls for the weekend. So they went out and along the walkway, and they looked at the falls. They looked at the six million cubic meters of water falling every single minute over the edge of the falls. And he looks at his buddy, and he says, yeah, I, I, I can fix that. It's an impossible problem. It is so immense and so huge that nobody can fix it. And... The problem of sin in humanity was a God-sized problem. God's solution to the problem of sin in humanity was to pay for the problem himself. You remember the story in Cain and Abel, how only one sacrifice was acceptable? What was the sacrifice that was acceptable? It was the firstborn sacrifice. It was the first fruits of his flock. That was the acceptable sacrifice. In the same way, to pay for the sins of all the world, there was one acceptable sacrifice. And God offered his own acceptable sacrifice on our behalf. He offered his firstborn. He offered his spotless son. He offered Jesus. And Jesus paid for the death penalty for the sins of the world once and for all. Jesus was the solution to the problem for all of humanity. Romans 5 tells us that God demonstrates. He demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ not only, though, came to pay for the penalty of our sins, Christ also came to overcome and give us the power to close the door on sin. Because we know the end of the story is that Jesus didn't stay in the grave. Three days later, Jesus rose up from the grave, and he demonstrated, he demonstrated his victory over sin and power and death and the grave. And so when we put our trust in Christ, he not only rescues us from death, but he puts us in a new state of being. And I so appreciated Derek's leading this morning. He talks so much about that. that. That Jesus, he gives us a new state. We are new creations, no longer in condemnations. We are dead to sin. We are alive in Christ. When we put our faith and trust in Christ, he puts us in a new state of being. 
everything changes. We are no longer only human. We are on our way to becoming truly human, victorious over the power of sin. But he also gives us a new life. He puts us in a new state of being, but he gives us a new life. He comes to live inside of us by his Holy Spirit. And as we walk with the Spirit and we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be transformed. And so Christ saves us from the penalty of sin. He gives us the power to defeat sin, to close the door on sin, so that we can become truly human, the best versions of ourselves. We do not need to be only human. The question is, this morning, do you believe this? Have you embraced this with your whole mind to be true? Maybe for you today, it's time for a change of mind. Because that's where the real battle is. That's where the real change needs to be happening. Paul, in Romans 12, he reminds us, he says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are not only human. That is the conformed way of thinking. That is how our world thinks. That is how the world deals with its issues. Instead, we are truly human. We are image bearers, new creations, dead to sin, alive in Christ, full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And the challenge is, is that so many of us are still thinking with the old mind. The old mind says, well, I'm only human, but God wants you to step into a new reality. The new reality says that with God's help and because of the state he's placed me in, I can become truly human. I am being transformed. I am undergoing a metamorphosis. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the starting point is in your mind. And maybe today for you, it's time to put the faulty thinking behind you and to embrace the truth of Christ that's before you. If you continue to believe you are only human, you will continue to live as if you're only human. Let me ask you, what does the tape inside of your mind keep telling you? Not today when you're surrounded by Christians in a Christian environment, but as you walk about today, as you go about your work, as you drive in your car, what does the tape recorder in your mind keep telling you? You see, it's not what others say about you that matters. It's what you say about you that matters. You will always be defeated by what you say about you. What are you saying about you? And is it in line with the conformed pattern of this world? I'm only human. Or is it in line with the transformed pattern of the new kingdom? As I'm becoming truly human because Christ in me. Is what you say about you the same as what God says about you? You will always be defeated by what you say about you. You cannot step into your future and still think in your past. So maybe today is the day for a mind change for you. The word is metanoia, the transforming, the renewing of the mind. Maybe today is the day that you put old ways behind you and you step into this new reality, which is who you are in Christ. You didn't put yourself there, but by faith and trust you received it from Christ. If you always do what you always did, you will always be where you always were. Maybe today it's time for a renewing of your mind. I'm going to invite the band to come. And I want to ask you today, 
to just do a, a mental audit, a mental audit. Where's your mind at today? And maybe today you're saying, yeah, on point, nailed it. I need that. I need a renewing of my mind. If that's you today, I want to pray for you, and I want to pray with you, because the promise is that that is a spiritual work. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's spiritual transformation. That's something that the Holy Spirit can do in you if you are willing to receive it. So why don't we stand? And if you're here this morning, and that's you, I'm going to lead you in prayer. I'm going to pray over you. If you were here today and you're saying, I, I, am, I have been living in the shallow end of my thinking. I have been believing lies. I've been living with deceptions. I've been embracing faulty thinking. And you want to change your mind. You want to step into the truth of God. You want to believe the truth. You want to live in the truth. You want to embrace it fully by faith. And you want your mind renewed today by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is possible today. If you will receive and you'll believe and you accept it. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Do you believe this? So maybe for you, I'm going to put my hands up because this is true of me. Or maybe you just want to put up your hand, surrendered, palms up, and say, God, I just want to receive a renewing of my mind today. And I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit who hovered over the waters of creation. Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead. Holy Spirit who gives us new life in Christ. Breathes new life into us. Holy Spirit who sends us into the world on mission. Holy Spirit, today we ask you in the name of Jesus, would you transform our minds? Forgive us for believing lies. Forgive us for believing deceptions. And we want to step beyond what we were and step into who we are. And so would you change us? Would you change our minds? Would you renew our minds? We need a metanoia. We need a, a transformation. Help us to see who we are in Christ. Help us to believe. Help us to step into the power of the Holy Spirit to be changed and transformed. We surrender our lives to you afresh today. We surrender our minds to you and we say, change our minds. And we thank you, Jesus. You came to rescue and to restore a fallen humanity to take us from being only human and to make us truly human. Holy, good, loving, strong, beautiful, made in the image of God. And we praise you and we glorify you and we receive this now in faith. In Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. 
We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and has helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton, and you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.